Hey, happy Easter, everybody. Uh, my name is Noel. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just super glad that you're here, either in person or online, uh, for our Easter service. And we do want to give a special welcome uh, to everyone who is uh, here at Riv for the first time, and an even specialer welcome, if that's a word, um, uh, to those of you who are new to this Jesus thing. And for those of you who are new to this Jesus thing, this Christianity thing, here's the thing. Easter is a very big deal for us. Uh, Easter is what Christianity Christians consider to be the apex, the center point of human history. And we believe that something that happened 2,000 years ago impacts our lives today and impacts our eternities forever. And that's what we celebrate at Easter. And so what I thought I'd do today is instead of just starting 2,000 years ago at the time of Christ, that we would go all the way back another 1,500 years. And we would start this story 3,500 years ago with a guy by the name of Moses. Now, you may have heard of Moses. Uh, he's the guy with the, you know, the big uh, stone tablets coming down the mountain with the Ten Commandments on them. Uh, Charlton Heston, you know, uh, for those of you who are old like me. Young people are like, who's Charlton Heston? Well, it's your loss. Um, so also, um, he's the guy, part of the Red Sea, you know, led the children of Israel out of enslavement in Egypt. Uh, it's a pretty big deal. And what's remarkable about Moses is a couple things. The first thing is how immensely unqualified Moses seems to be and is for the job that God calls him to. In fact, if you go to the book of Exodus in the Bible, he spends the first couple chapters trying to convince God that he is unqualified for the job because he is. And the second remarkable thing is that this immensely unqualified guy is called by God his friend. Let's pick up the story in Exodus 33, starting in verse 11. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to camp. So what's going on here is, as Moses is called to lead the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he would talk to his friend, God. And he would talk to him face to face. Now, that doesn't mean he saw his face. We'll actually see and assume that that's not the case. But he was intimate in his conversations with God. You know how you have different voices you use in different rooms? Like, this is my preaching voice. I also have a podcasting voice. I have a yelling at my children voice. We all have different voices, right? You have your work voice. You have your family voice. And then you've got your friend voice, right? You talk to your friends a little differently than you talk to everybody else. Well, Moses and God would use their friend voices with each other when they would talk, and they would talk face-to-face -face intimately. Now, watch how the story develops in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, we get an insight into one of their conversations. Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you haven't told me whom you'll send with me. He's like, this is a big job. I got a nation to lead, and you're telling me to lead these people. And I, who, who's going with me? Who's going to help me with this immense task? You also said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Now, if you've indeed found favor with me, please teach me your ways, and I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now, consider that this nation, it's your people. In other words, you're, you're telling me to lead your people, right? Can you please send help, right? I can't do this. And this is God's response to him. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses is like, I need help. Send someone. God's like, I got it. I'll go. 
And not only that, he says, I'll give you rest. Now, to any of us who have ever led in any category, you know how big that is. You know how hard it is to lead your family (laughs) or to lead your small team at work. Moses is leading an entire nation. And God says to him, not only will my presence go with you, I will give you rest. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. My presence being with you will give you rest. And this is Moses' response to him. Well, if your present doesn't go, don't make us go. (laughs) In other words, he's like, if you aren't going with me, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this job. That's the intimacy that Moses had in his relationship with God. He's just like, I'm I'm just not going to do it. So you got to go with me. Jump down to verse 17. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this thing. (laughs) I'll do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please let me see your glory. He said, uh, and then God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But then he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. Moses has this intimate conversation with his friend, God, and he's like, I want to see your glory. God says, well, you can see my compassion. You can see my graciousness. You can see my faithfulness. You can see my glory. You can't see my face. But I'm going to give you something else. Did you catch it in the middle? It wasn't something that Moses was going to see. It was something Moses was going to hear. He said, I'm going to pass in front of you, and I'm going to say my name. I'm going to say the Lord, and that that name is Yahweh. He says, I'm going to tell you the name of the one that will go with you, the name Yahweh. Verse 5 of chapter 34. Is how this, when, when this goes down, it says, The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of him, and he proclaimed, the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord, Yahweh, is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and rebellion uh, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. I'm not sure you caught this, but when God passed by in front of Moses, he said his name three times. He said, Yahweh. And then he said, Yahweh. And then he said, Yahweh. In other words, I want you to get my name. This is, this is who I am. And then he tells him who he is. This is who's going to go with you. This is why you're going to be able to have rest because this is who goes with you. He says, I am a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And we always hear that. And just like he said his name three times, we want to say yeah three times. We're like, yeah, right? We love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be all those things, God. But then he takes this almost like dark turn. And he says, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And we're like, no, I don't like that part. But if, if, if you take the one without the other, you miss something beautiful here. 
something beautiful about God's character. We've all heard of the phrase, uh, the sins of the father, haven't we? And many of us have experienced generational sin. We even have a phrase. We say, it's time to break the cycle of the generational sin from generation to generation. He says, I will cause this with Israel to, to be the third and to the fourth generation. The third and the fourth generation. But what did he just say a couple verses before that? That his faithful love would be maintained for a thousand generations. There's a contrast in there. And this is when God gives Moses this, this two, this Ten Commandments, these two tablets, um, these stone tablets, and it was the law that Israel needed because uh, they had shown that they couldn't govern themselves. And down in verse 29, the story gets great. It says, as Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets um, uh, of the testimony in his hands, and as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of speaking with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone, they were afraid to come near him, but Moses called out to them. So you get this picture, right? They come up to Moses, they see his face, they're like backing up for Moses. He's like, no, 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 come here. So they all come back again, right? So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned him and Moses spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near. So the whole nation came near and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. This is one of the most overlooked chunks of this story. And it's one of the best. Whenever Moses talked with his friend, Yahweh, God, his face would just light up. So much so that it would freak everyone out. And they would freak out so much that the only way he could have conversations with people is if his entire face was covered. And so he'd cover his face around the people and then he'd go back into the tent to talk to God again. He'd take the veil off. And he would talk with his friend, and then he would come out glowing all again. Now, why don't you put yourself in the shoes of the everyday Israelite? You see this with Moses. Every time he's with God, he glows, and then he comes back. What did, would, would you inadvertently come to believe? Man, that Moses guy must be special. He must have done something great to deserve God's love, to deserve this intimacy to be able to call God his friend. But remember what I told you about Moses at the beginning? Moses was an immensely unqualified person. <laughs> and yet somehow he became God's friend. Somehow God chose to be gracious and compassionate and faithful and loving to a guy that didn't deserve it one bit. <laughs> of course, now... Moses, even Moses, couldn't see God's face. And every young Israelite would learn this story, right? They would learn that they couldn't see God's face to face. And eventually, they would build something called the tabernacle, which is a fancy tent. And inside the fancy tent in the desert, there was a spot way deep in the middle of the, it that, that God's presence was in. And there was a, a veil around it so that no one could go to that place because that's where God was. And you couldn't see God's face. And eventually, they built a temple. And inside the temple, deep inside the temple, there was a small spot that God would be in where nobody was allowed to go because you couldn't see God's face and his presence would be there. And, and, and you couldn't see the glory of God. Fast forward 1,500 years and something changes. The author of Hebrews 
describes it to us this way. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, he says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him as heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus Christ is God's Son. He is the exact expression of God's nature. Remember how God described his nature to Moses? He said, I'm a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I will not leave the guilty unpunished. That's Jesus. See, here's the thing. Jesus, God's son, stepped into creation. That's Christmas. He was born in a stable in the dirt. As a baby, he became a refugee where he and his mom and his stepdad ran away from the government and they hid in all of all places, Egypt, the place where the Israelites had been enslaved and held in captivity until God sent Moses to release them. And when Jesus returned from there, they settled in a small little rural town where Jesus grew up as a small town guy until he was about 30 years old. And at 30 years old, he was baptized. And when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came out of heaven that said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then he began his ministry of preaching a, 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 a gospel. And that gospel started with a way of living, a way of living that no one can do, that no one could earn that none deserved the world that Jesus presented to the world. And so they rejected it. And then Jesus performed miracles and he drew a crowd. And sometimes the crowd was people who, who loved him and people who hated him and people who were just kind of watching him and, and just kind of hanging around. And after three years of ministry, he began to tell his closest friends, he's like, listen, I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna beat death. So don't you worry, I'm gonna beat death. And they didn't believe him. So he took a couple guys on a road trip. Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured in front of them. His face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light, and suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared, talking with him. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. That's like an understatement. He's like, this is really great. This is cool. I like this. Let's do this. Um, if you want, I'll set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. And Jesus came up and touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about this, <laughs> about the vision that you just saw until the son of man is raised from the dead. I could preach that for a month. There's so many beautiful layers. But just hear this. We see Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, transfigured. The word in Greek for transfigured is uh, metamorphothe, which is where we get metamorphosis. 
So you get the image here? Jesus completely transformed. His, his face shone, his clothes uh, shone, and then, and then uh, this bright cloud uh, descended, and God's voice spoke from the cloud. And, and, and there was Elijah, the prophet, and Moses, God's friend, who had died 1,500 years before. And what were they doing? Talking to Jesus face-to-face, looking at his face in all of its glory, transfigured. No wonder the disciples were terrified. (laughs) They dropped to the ground. They're shaking. They're afraid. And what does Jesus do? He goes up to them. He lays his hands on them. He encourages them. He calms them down. He reminds them that it's going to be okay. And he reminds them that he is going to die. But not to be worried. Don't tell anyone what just happened until I come back from the dead, okay? And so many people wonder, why did Jesus have to die? Well, Jesus had to die because think about for a second about what boils up inside of you when you see a video online of some sort of evil boiling up in this world. You're created in the image of God, and so you long for justice. You want guilt to be punished. And if we're honest, so many of us, we admit that we're the evil one, that there's times that we've betrayed people, that we've used people, that we've lashed out in selfish anger against people when we didn't get our way. It's just that most of us don't have videos of us floating around online. That's why Jesus had to die. That's why Jesus went through mock trials and betrayal and a brutal crucifixion on a Roman cross. Jesus showed us that he was the exact representation of God's nature when he didn't let guilt go unpunished. But he took that punishment onto himself. In Jesus and the brutal crucifixion on the cross, we have the intersection of justice and mercy. And it's the brutality of Jesus' crucifixion that was an act of compassion and faithful love to us. And so as Jesus hung on the cross, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemesabachani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they thought, he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a stick and offered it to him as a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried again and with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn into, from top to bottom, the earthquake and the rocks were split. What a contrast from Jesus' transfiguration, where his face glowed and his clothes glowed and a, and a cloud, a glowing cloud descended. When Jesus died on the cross, the whole world descended into an inky darkness. But then, in the temple, something happened. That veil, inside, deep inside the temple where God's presence would dwell was torn in two from top to bottom. 
the veil between God and humankind was ripped away. Jesus' lifeless body was removed from the cross. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. And then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and they rested on the Sabbath, which is Saturday according to the commandments. So they, on Friday, Jesus was buried and then they got some work done and then they, took the, they obeyed the Sabbath. And then on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, that's Easter Sunday, uh, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb and they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. And so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. How many times have we seen brightness and being terrified at the same time, right? Why are you looking for the living among the dead, asked the men. He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to the men, and they did not believe the women. <laughs> Pretty typical. Um, and then Peter takes off. He goes, I'm going to go see it for myself, and he goes running to the tomb. But think about this. These women were the first to know that Jesus had risen from the dead. And these men, even though they had heard from Jesus, from his mouth, over and over and over again that he was coming back to life. They didn't believe the women. Even the, the guys who were up on top of the mountain with Jesus when he was with Moses and Elijah, and he said, Shh, don't tell anybody until I've risen from the dead, right? Even they didn't believe it. Of course, eventually, they did. Why? Because they saw Jesus face to face. They talked with Jesus face to face, and everything changed forever. Jesus, their Lord, their God, their friend, had beaten death and he offered them life. And so they believed. Now the Apostle Paul, in a letter he wrote to the Corinthians, he pulls all the threads of this story together into one chunk where he says this. Now if the ministry that brought death chiseled in letters and stones came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what has been glorious is not glorious now by comparison to the glory that surpasses it. For what if, we, if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Now, I get that that's more flowery than my tie, so let me explain this. What he is saying is this. When Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he came with the glory of God shining on his face so powerfully that nobody could look at him. That freaked him out. He had to wear a veil to cover that up. What we have now in Jesus is even more glorious. And what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives is even more glorious. He calls it the ministry of the Spirit. What that means is God, in the third person, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. If you believe in Jesus, place your faith in him. God himself lives inside of you, and he begins to transform you from the inside out so that the way you are living, that your lives shine because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life through Jesus. So much so 
that Moses' face is weak in comparison to what Jesus is doing in your life through the Holy Spirit. Since then, Paul says, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. We're not like Moses. He used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, whenever a person turns to Jesus, the veil is removed. Every one of us starts our life with a veil over our hearts. And because there's a veil over our hearts, there's a veil over our face, and we can't see Jesus. But when we trust in him, that veil is removed. We're given a hope. We're, we're able to act now in great boldness, in new ways. We step into a dark world as a light and tell people about Jesus. He says, now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is the Lord who is the Spirit. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When he rose again, he conquered darkness once and for all. And when we believe in him, the veil is removed from our hearts and our faces and God begins to transform us in the likeness of Jesus so we, like a mirror, shine God's glory into this world. And that glory is freedom. For the world to see that everything in this world that they think is glorious pales in comparison to Jesus. I'm a hummer. I go, <laughs> all the time. My wife pointed that out to me once, and then she goes, you know, your mom does that. And I'm like, well, that's where I get it. Um, and I found myself recently just humming an old hymn. If you're old like me, you might remember this one. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I want to wrap up with these words. The hymn says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is my call to you today. If you are weary and troubled, if all you see in this world is darkness, turn to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Moses may not have been able to look at God's face, but you can look at Jesus' with an unveiled face because of what he did on the cross. You may be tempted to think, well, Jesus is just for special people. And I guess it's kind of true because he considered you special enough to die on the cross for you. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He died for you because he loves you. You're special in his eyes. He rose from the dead for you. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He pleads for you now 
at the right hand of the Father. So believe in him. Look full in his wonderful face. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And we thank you that you did not leave the guilty unpunished, but that Jesus took that punishment for us. We thank you that the veil has been lifted from our hearts, from our faces, that the veil has been torn in two between your glory and us. And so we just pray that we would be people who would believe in Jesus, who would look full in his wonderful face, that the things of earth would go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May we be mirrors in our world that shine the glory of Jesus. We pray all this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. So as we love to do on Easter, uh, all across our our in-person venues, uh, we are doing baptisms. Um, and there's already been a lot of them this week, and I don't know how many, but uh, we'll, we'll tell you next week. Um, but there's been a lot, and we've got some people getting baptized this service. Um, and so before we get into baptisms, uh, we'd like to invite one person who's getting baptized uh, to share their story with you. So check this out. So my grandpa, he's definitely been very motivational and inspirational for me. He started bringing me to Riverview back in 2002, so when I was a kid, and he's primarily always been the person to bring me to church. It was never that he forced it, um, it was just that he was always encouraging and always loving with it. His welcoming and openness and just accepting, it definitely inspired me and then just, you know, when I was having the really hard times in life, getting those encouraging messages just to lean into God and into the Bible, and he was just that person for me, and hes I've always seen him be so strong in his faith, even through the hard things that have happened in our life, and honestly, my grandpa was like one of the most important people to me, and I wouldn't be here without him, honestly. I had taken a little bit of time of not coming to church so much, kind of when I was in high school and started getting into college, um, kind of just drifted uh, with the outside influences of life. I had a lot of life-changing events, life-hardening events, you could say. When I stopped kind of going to Riverview, I wasn't a mom yet, and then during the time of my not going so much, I became a mom, and it was just really just, it was literally me crying on my hands and knees, just having to give it to God, just being in the hardest part of my life, like just, I felt like I had no one else that knew what I was going through, knew my pain every day. And so it was just finally like me just feeling like I only had God, like, and that's just who I needed to lean on. And I just remember crying on my knees, just in my bedroom, just like asking God to fully take my life. I was putting it back in his hands that, you know, I don't understand why things were happening the way that they were. But I was just going to accept what, what was happening in my life and the things to come. And even through the hard times and through the hardship that I'm finally finding peace, it's not always happiness or like always good things, but God is going to protect you, that he has a plan that, um, that we're taking care of. And it's just been blessing after blessing when I just accept him and follow his word and the callings that I feel like I have. 
know it's not easy, but it's definitely positive overall. So baptism to me um, is just like the importance um, and proclamation of telling the world, telling your church community, telling your family and friends that you believe in Jesus Christ and God as our Savior and um, just that you're going to continue to pursue um, a Christian life and the Christian values and to get closer and deepen your faith with Jesus and God and that's definitely where I am and what I want to do. So I want to now proclaim this to my church and to my family and make the next step to become deeper in my faith.